throughout history, there have been great armies and not so great armies. And Israel, at the time, was not so great. It's hard to imagine that in this place that I'm standing, there was a ragtag group of soldiers that numbered 32,000 men. And yet, to the north, there were the Midianites, this massive force who were bigger in number and better in quality and had kept them in defeat year after year after year. But it was about to change. So Gideon, the leader of Israel's army at this time, called all the men to come to fight. They weren't great trained soldiers. They, they weren't a mighty force, but maybe they could make a dent in the Midianites' army. But God had different plans. He, he told Gideon that he didn't need all those men, so he should dismiss anyone who was afraid to fight. 22,000 walked away. 10,000 brave souls, not well-trained, but brave souls stayed. But God said it's still too many. And so he had them come to the spring I'm standing by. He said, have them drink. And all but 300 got down and, and literally put their face in the water and lapped like a dog would. But 300 stayed on their knees, stayed at the ready, and brought the water to their face. God said, those are your 300. Every other soldier was dismissed. Now, I know it sounds funny that they would literally dive their faces into the water and lap like a dog, but the reality is it is unbelievably hot here. And I wouldn't mind jumping into this water and cooling off. So it wasn't that they were ignorant or foolish. It's that they were hot. And in that moment, they forgot their task. They forgot about what they were doing. It was the 300 who were standing ready. 300 men were going to defeat the Midianite army. It just didn't seem reasonable. But Gideon trusted God and obeyed God, and God went to work. God sent Gideon and those 300 to circle the Midianite camp at night. And they didn't have spears or armor or swords or shields. They had jars with light hidden in it, and they had trumpets. Now, you need to know on this day, basically, there was one trumpet for a hundred or more men, and so each of these 300 had a trumpet. And at the given signal, they broke the jars, light surrounded the Midianite camp, and they blew trumpets. And though it was 300, it sounded like a huge fighting force. And they started fleeing, and they, they started turning on each other, and God wanted the world to know it wasn't about the size or the skill of the army. It was about trusting him. So it was here that Gideon finally lived up to his name. It means mighty warrior. But in truth, he wasn't the mighty warrior. He was just a simple man of faith. And God then fought his war for him. And this all happened in this very real place with a real man of faith and a real God. Well, good morning, Northridge. It's so great to see you. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. 
If you're, if you're a guest, welcome to Northridge. And we have a, a point of celebration this weekend. Last weekend was our very first time at being in Gross Eel, Northridge Gross Eel. We told you all about that and love to give updates and celebrations. We have a picture here. Last weekend, we had twice as many people as could fit in the auditorium show up for our service. And it was a phenomenal experience. It was a great first start, and I had the privilege right after the 11 o'clock service here in Plymouth, I had the privilege of going back to backstage and calling them, and they put me on the sound system. I got to thank them for being a part of Northridge. It was exciting that they're helping to make that church, you know, wake up Grosseal already to Jesus, and, and because we're about, you know, giving space to grow and reaching more and more people for the Lord, you can't have a double full auditorium and expect to do anything, so we made the announcement last weekend, the first First weekend of the history of the church, we went to two services this weekend, 9 and 11, and so they're meeting twice, which is great. And, uh, you know, I, now all of a sudden I've got these high expectations. I'm expecting next weekend there'll be three services, the next weekend four services, and she's going to keep growing, but it's really a celebration. I hope you keep praying for them, and if you know people in the surrounding uh, Down River and Grosseal area down there, that you'd invite them to show up and be a part of that. We're in this series called Origins, where we actually are able to bring back some of the context of the Holy Land so that your eyes can be opened to what God was doing in the stories that unfolded in the Old Testament in this particular edition of, of Origins. And, and I'm telling you, it's a life-impacting thing for me, and I, I hope that it is for you. As we get into this weekend, I, I have to tell you, I love un- underdog stories. I'm just a, a firm lover of underdog stories, and this story that we look at this weekend is a perfect example of one. Gideon was an unlikely hero. I mean, that's just, you can't say it any better than that. I mean, when you really dig into the life of Gideon, you saw a little bit of the context where his big story unfolded, but he was an unlikely hero. In fact, from our human perspective, Gideon was a genuine underdog because when you look at the facts, this guy didn't have a chance. I mean, no way can he do what he's asked to do. And I, I want to show you why. The, the first thing you need to know about Gideon, and God's the one that tells the story. God's the one that unfolds it in the Bible for us. He was weak. I mean, Gideon was not one of these naturally courageous warrior types. This guy was weak. I mean, the Bible makes it really, really clear. In fact, look at Judges chapter 6, 15. Well, um, God had told him, you're going to save Israel. <laughs> look what Gideon's response is to God. But Lord, how can I do that? How can I save Israel? I mean, really? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. You know what he's saying, right? He's going, he, he says, we have a genetic code problem in our family. I mean, we're really weak we don't have courage. We're not standouts. We don't really have great gifts. Why would you come to me? Go to someone else. I mean, he was weak. And a bunch of the story kind of unfolds his weakness. I mean, even after God said, you're the guy, you're going to go out and save Israel. He says, all right, you're going to have to like do something supernatural for me here. You're going to have to give me a sign. And so he, he had this thing, a fleece. We'll just call it like a piece of cloth. Uh, and, and he said, okay, God, here's what I need you to do. I'm going to put this cloth on the ground outside. And I, I need in the morning you to have the ground dry 
and the fleece wet. And then I'll know you're in this. And so that happened. And then he realized not only was he weak, but he had a very low IQ. Because, you see, of course the, the fleece was going to stay wet longer than the ground, right? I mean, that's just, uh, he goes, oh, I blew it. Don't get mad at me. Let's reverse the order of that. I'd like you to let the ground stay wet and the fleece be dry. And God, you know, tolerated this and gave him the sign. It's just one thing after another. This guy was weak. He's the one that said it. And not only was he weak, but he really was facing impossible odds. I mean, he, he faced impossible odds. The Midianite army was a superior army, and they had been oppressing Israel for a long time. Israel couldn't even touch them. Israel couldn't push them away. It just couldn't happen. And then look at Judges 6.33. Now all the Midianites and Add to that now the Amalekites and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the Valley of Jezreel. They're coming after Israel now. And I mean, there's like well over 100,000 well-trained soldiers, the mighty force of the day, coming after him. And he didn't have a chance because when you look at the text, I mean, and you heard the story, you know, they only had 32,000 who weren't all that well-trained and then God said, send any away, anyone away who wants to go away. And <laughs> I can see him now. 22,000 walked away. He's left with 10,000. 10, God says, that's just too many. And you know, it got down to 300. I'm sorry. 300 against well over 100,000 better trained, better equipped soldiers. Those are impossible odds. And yet look at what God called Gideon. In the face of his weakness, in the face of these impossible odds, Judges chapter 6 verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. What are those two words? Yeah, thanks for the mighty help. That was awesome. God called him a mighty warrior. A mighty warrior. I mean, come on. When you look at the realities of the story, Gideon as a mighty warrior is laughable. I mean, this is comedy at its best. But as always, even when it just seems impossible, God was right. Unlikely Gideon became a mighty warrior. He lived up to God's calling. Now, here's the reality you need to understand. The reality is that Gideon is a picture of our lives. I mean, God knows what he's doing, and the reason he put this story in the Bible, as so many others, is that even though we live in the 21st century, even though we live in a very, very different culture than the one in which Gideon found himself, Gideon's a picture of our lives. You see, because like Gideon, we tend to live as if we're underdogs, right? We, we tend to see ourselves as the most unlikely. In fact, let's just overlay Gideon's reality on our reality, and we'll see the picture. Gideon was weak. Well, we're weak too. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't want to be weak. We want to be strong. We don't even want people to perceive we're weak or think we're weak. So what do we do? We put on these, these images. We create these perceptions of ourselves that we're really confident, that we're strong, that, we, you know, that we're better than we are. And all of us do. This is a part of our makeup. But, but we know, in spite of the images we create, we know we're weak. 
Because we've proven time and time and time again, no matter how much we want to do right, we tend to do wrong. No matter how much we want to, to be successes, we're failures. I mean, we've done it time and time again. Gideon was weak, we're weak. Gideon faced impossible odds. Well, if we're honest, we face impossible odds. I mean, from experience, haven't we learned that life is tough? Life isn't easy. The, the armies we face in this world, the giants we face in this world, the obstacles we face in this world just are, are too big of a match for us. In fact, don't we often complain about this to one another, complain about this to God? You know, God, you, know, you, you haven't given me what other people have. I, you, you haven't come alongside and supported me. I don't have what I need to have to be successful in all these different things. And so we're weak and we face impossible odds. We've learned this. From experience, the odds are against us. <laughs> We've learned from experience. Murphy has a law. Right? Oh, we're just like Gideon. And yet, look at what God calls us in the Bible. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us so. We are more than conquerors. I don't know about you, that sounds a lot like mighty warrior Gideon's a picture of our lives he was weak we're weak he faced impossible odds we face impossible odds life's too big for us the challenge is too large for us there's no way we can overcome and yet God comes down and says you're conquerors and we kind of laugh under our breath when I have the privilege of standing at the foot of Mount Gilboa the setting for this weekend's origins talk. When I have the privilege of standing there where Gideon stood at this unbelievable transformative event in his life and in Israel's history, here's the truth that overwhelms me. With God, we're never underdogs. Never. With God, we're never the underdogs. You see, with God, we don't have to be defined by our weakness, and we don't have to be defined as victims to impossible circumstances. Instead, we can be defined by God's strength, and we can be defined by God's infinite abilities. When I stand at the foot of Mount Gilboa and think about what transpired in this weak and unbelievably challenged guy's life, I realize that one plus God is a majority. And this isn't how we look at the world. In fact, it's not even how we look at these stories. Because, you see, when I read this, I go, you know, God, really? 100,000 plus superiorly trained soldiers, and you're going to only give him 300, a ragtag team of people who just didn't put their face down in the water? Really? It's crazy. Until you remember something. One plus God is a majority. 300 is 300 times more than you need. God can defeat the biggest army in the world without any help on our part. This is an underdog story, but it's the world that was the underdog, not Gideon. Because with God, we're never the underdog. God is bigger than any army that we have to fight any warfare or battle we're engaged in and life's filled with those right God is bigger than any giant we face and I don't know about you but I face a ton of giants a lot of them are 
haunting me on the inside and some of them are on the outside, but God is bigger than any giant I'll ever face. You know, Israel was in bondage in Egypt under the superpower giant of the day, Pharaoh and his armies, and God came and broke their back and put plagues on them, and finally they sent them out of the country, and Israel is wandering in the wilderness and going towards the promised land, and, and then all of a sudden, they stop. God sends, through Moses, 12 spies into the land, and God had already said, I'm going to give you this land. This land is yours. Just go and check it out. And two guys came back, Joshua and Caleb, and they said, those people are huge, but God's huger. Let's go in. But 10 spies said, uh, they're giants in the land, and listen to their perspective. Read it in Numbers 13 for yourself. Here was their perspective. We're like grasshoppers to those giants. How did they see themselves? They saw themselves as underdogs. They saw themselves as weak. They saw themselves facing impossible odds. They saw themselves as incapable of doing it. And so they, they ran. And for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness and those people never got into the promised land because they saw God as small instead of as big when I look at Gideon, I realize that God is bigger than any army. God is bigger than any giant I'll ever face. And God is bigger than any obstacle because this is another thing. That was a huge obstacle, but God was bigger than that. Reminds me of Moses in front of the Red Sea. Pharaoh and the Egyptian army coming after them. There's no way out and the Red Sea's in their way. And all the people of God are doing what we would do. They're going, oh my gosh, why didn't we just die in Egypt? And, you know, Moses, you know, drinking a latte holding a staff, says, hang on, watch God work. And God parted the Red Sea. I want you to know something. That's not a surprise to someone who knows how big God is. That's not a surprise to someone who knows that with God, we're never the underdog. There's no army, there's no giant, there's no obstacle that can ever stop us. Here's the question I have to ask myself at the at Mount Gilboa, and I want to challenge you with this weekend. How big is your God? How big is he? I mean, let me ask you this way. When you stand face to face with those you're in war with, when you stand face to face with your giants, when you stand face to face against the, the obstacles to your journey, do you see yourself as the underdog or the sure winner? Are your giants bigger than God or is your God bigger than your giants? How big's your God? Now let me help you dig into this because I have to do this on my own. Because too often I believe I have a small God instead of a big God. So let me ask you, what do your prayers say about how big your God is? I find myself praying prayers that I believe are doable. Don't you? Like, God, please let the sun come out tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. That's not a big prayer. Pretty likely that's going to happen. And yet, I dummy my prayers down to the size of my God. How about you? What do your fears and worries say about 
the size of your God? Because see, if one plus God is a majority with your God, there is not a lot to fear or worry about in this world, right? So why do we fear and worry? Maybe it's because our God's too small. What do, you, what do your choices say about how big your God is? I find that it's very difficult to make the right choice when everyone's against you when you make it. I mean, one of the hardest parts of leadership is making the choice that you believe with all of your heart is the right choice and having almost everyone disagree with it. And it's been a whole part of my journey. And I'm just telling you right now, it's hard to do unless you believe your God's bigger than the majority. Many times we're compromising our integrity. We're skirting around and taking shortcuts in life because, you know, we, we bow to political correctness. We refuse to stand on a value that God says is true when the whole world doesn't. Why? Because the majority is bigger than our God. What do your choices say about how big your God is? What, what do your dreams say about how big your God is? If you're sizing your dreams to what you might be able to accomplish, your God's too small, and so is mine when I do it. And let me ask you a a different kind of sighted question in the same vein. What would the people who know you best, you know, your family, your friends, your coworkers, what would the people who know you best say about the size of your God? Or do they even know you have a God? Let me just be frank, if God is supersized big in your life, it's impossible to hide him. If God's super big in your life, you, you can't hide him from your coworkers. You can't hide him from your family. You can't hide him from anybody you meet. Does anyone know about your God? No wonder we're not experiencing getting it. See, we're walking in our weakness. We're facing impossible odds. And we don't believe what God's called us. Conquerors, mighty warriors. No wonder we live such small lives. We have too small of a God. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on this. On our own, and that's how most of us live. It's certainly how I live most of the time. On my own, as if it all depends on me. I'm, I'm me against the world. Well, on our own, the best we can expect in life is to be ordinary. I mean, that's the best we can expect on our own, to be, to be living very explainable lives. And this is true of even the greatest people we know on the planet, the people who have accomplished the most on the planet, they're really just ordinary. Because here's what we say. Well, I could have done that too if God had given me an IQ, right? Don't we? I could have done that too if he had given me a network of friends like they have. I could have done that too if I got to go to an Ivy League school. I could have done that too if I had better parents or a better family situation. I could have done that too if those opportunities were given to me. I could have done that too. What are we saying? They're just doing ordinary stuff. They just had more opportunities given to them than we did. The best you can expect on your own is to live an explainable life. I mean, think about Gideon. If Gideon had the biggest army with the best weapons, superior trained army, better leadership, and better plan, whatever he accomplished would have been explainable. It would have been expected. And and everyone would have said, yeah, he was a great leader. But, you know, of course, he had all the opportunities. But let me give you the other side of the coin. With God, with God, the worst we can expect from our lives is to be extraordinary. Now, this is interesting. The best I can expect going it on my own I'm explainable. But with God, the worst I can expect in life is to be extraordinary. 
to live a life that's unexplainable. Think about it. Gideon had 300 men against more than 100,000. He had, and this is so funny to me, he had candles and trumpets instead of swords and shields. He had no real training, no real leadership, no real plan, and he had no army, really, and yet he won, and it wasn't even close. What do you call that? Unexplainable. Because God only does extraordinary things. The result was simple. In Gideon's life, God got the glory. Gideon didn't. No one after this thing was over said, wow, did you see Gideon take out that army? Everybody goes, he's from the weakest clan and he's the weakest part of his family. But he has a great God. God got the glory. Here's an important question each of us has to ask ourselves. I really want to challenge you with it. Is there anything in my life that can only be explained by God? Is there anything in my life that can only be explained by God? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be very, very frank. Almost everything in my life is very explainable. Now, I believe in God, so I believe everything I have, my gifts and opportunities, the family I was born into, I believe all that comes from God, so he gets credit. But, but that's not how most people look at it. Most people describe things as being natural. And so I, I was given a gift to be able to communicate a little bit. And I'm using it. And, so, and some people come and listen to that. And some people go, oh, yeah, but, you know, he has, he has the ability to speak. He's a speaker. And so, of course, you know, people are going to come and listen and you know, I, I, I have a, my wife and I have been married for 35 years, and, and I have to be honest, a lot of people would go, oh, yeah, well, of course. They both had good family backgrounds. Our parents stayed together and set a really good foundation for family, and so, you know, it's pretty explainable. It makes sense that they would know a little bit more about relationships than other people, and, you know, we did an okay job in parenting. I mean, there is Blake, but the other two turned out well, and, uh, and it's like... You know, we did an okay job, but, but we had a pretty good example in our parents. And so it's all explainable, right? It's all explainable. But there are a couple of things, just a couple, that are totally unexplainable. Anyone who knew me as a younger person, as a young man, and meets me today has one question. What happened to you? Because you see, I was a profoundly messed up person, self-consumed taker, I didn't believe in any kind of rules in life. My morality was just absent, had no conscience. And I'm far from perfect today, and I mess up a lot today, and all that different stuff, but I'm a different human being today, and that can only be explained one way, God God reached in and transformed me, gave me a conscience I didn't have, gave me values I didn't have or embrace. God transformed me, only God. It's unexplainable. And anytime someone who knew me meets me now, they say, what happened? And I'm able to say, Jesus, because only God could do that. And there's one other thing that's unexplainable. I, I, I you know... We're sitting here at Northridge Church, one church in four locations. Thousands upon thousands of people come here. And I, I'm just going to tell you, this is an only God thing. I mean, that I'm the pastor of this church, 
you looking and saying, oh my gosh, only God, and boy, did he blow it, right? You know, I mean, it's like, but I mean, what God's done here, you know, this church hasn't always been like it is today. Not perfect church, still messed up. We still make mistakes, but there was a day when it had been in decline for three and a half decades. The average age was 60. They were talking about when they were going to lock the doors and turn off the lights. There was all kinds of conflict, all kinds of terrible things going on. I mean, it was just a mess, and it was small at the time. And I came in. I was invited in, probably because they thought, what can he do? It's already dying. Uh, and I was invited to be the pastor, but I just really believe God brought me here. And I really believe that he had called me because he wanted to do what he promised. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And hell was really prevailing. And I'd just get up and I'd say, God is going to do a great work here. God is going to do a great work here. And for four decades, that work wasn't being experienced in the same way it had in the past. Because it has a great heritage, this church. But that time was tough. And people, I mean, it was tough. People would come up to me and say, do you have a grip on reality? I mean, seriously, every week more people are walking out and you're saying, God's doing a great work. I said, well, maybe they're leaving is a great work. I don't know. You know, it's like, but it's like, I, I, just, I just really believed he was going to build the church. And then some other crazy people joined me in that belief and it grew and grew and grew and, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're where we are today. And I believe we're just beginning, quite frankly. Anyone who knows me knows it can't be explained by me. Anyone who knows us knows it can't be explained by us. You know what Northridge's story is? It's the Gideon story, man. Only God. You know, the world needs to see God. And there's only one way. They need to see him through us. They need to see him in our lives. When our lives are just ordinary and explainable, people can't see him. They can only see us. And then when we talk about God, they don't buy it. Because say the God you're talking about is extraordinary and you're just ordinary. I see nothing special there and they don't buy it. But when they see God in our lives, when they see unexplainable things and extraordinary things, then they see God. So here's my question. Has your life been changed in unexplainable ways? Is your love and compassion unexplainable? Is your willingness to show grace and forgive unexplainable? Is your generosity unexplainable what in your life makes it obvious to people that God's real Gideon didn't have to convince people it was obvious now here's the application because this is so important that that we understand we're not ever the underdog with God here's the application if we're going to live up to God's calling you know the mighty warrior thing the conqueror thing in spite of the fact that we're weak and we face impossible odds if we're going to live up to God's calling if we're going to live up to our potential then like Gideon, we need to understand a couple of things. Here's one thing we need to understand. We need to understand that God uses people who know they're weak. God uses people who know they're weak. And you know why this is important for us to get a hold of with the Gideon story? It's because we're so busy trying to prove we're strong. We're trying to create the perception with one another that we're stronger than we are, that we're more courageous than we are, that we're more moral than we are, that we don't fall to temptation as much as we do. And we're trying to prove we're strong. And religion, isn't it all built upon being strong and proving we're strong and proving we can, that we're better than everybody else. But that's not who God uses. God doesn't use the people who pretend they're strong. God uses the people who know they're weak. 
This is why so seldom do we get used. We're so busy trying to convince ourselves and others and even God at times that we're strong that we're never going to be used because he only uses the weak. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The only people God's ever used are weak people. So maybe it's time that we embrace our weakness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, God says. So Paul embraces it. He says, so I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know what Paul said? I'm going to stop pretending I'm something I'm not. I'm going to stop pretending that I have the ability with 300 to beat an army of 100,000. I just can't do it. We have to acknowledge we're weak. You know what else we have to understand if we're going to live up to the calling? We have to understand that God uses people who trust him. He doesn't use people who say they trust him. I mean, I could see sitting in a meeting with Gideon going, yeah, I think he can do it. But you know why many times we Christians sit around in our holy huddle and we keep calling plays, but we never, you know, go break and pat each other on the butt and go play? It's because it's, it's more fun to talk about trusting him than to actually trust him. God uses people who trust him. Look at Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Can't please God without trust. 1 John 5, 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. God uses people who know they're weak and who trust him. And one last thing. You want to live up to what God's called you? You want to live up to your potential? Then you have to understand that God uses people who obey him who obey him. I mean, I love Joel 2.11. It's an Old Testament book, obscure to many people, but look at verse 11. says, The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. He's saying, can you imagine an army walking and lightning and thunders leading the way? That'd be pretty cool, right? And it says, though the numbers are small, God's forces are infinite there were only 300 israelis but the forces were infinite but look at what unleashes the mighty power of god mighty are those who obey his command you know why many times we don't experience the power of god in our life because we talk about stuff but we don't actually obey look at first john 5 uh, 3 24 those who obey his commands live in him and he in them And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. I mean, literally, obedience is what unleashes the power of God in our lives. God uses people who know they're weak, people who trust him, and people who obey him. That's who he uses. And here's an important note I want to give. Um, our, Our trust doesn't have to be perfect, and our trust doesn't have to be flawless. Good thing, because we'll never have a perfect or flawless faith. But our trust and faith has to be enough to obey him, to take the next step. If our trust and our faith isn't enough to obey him, then we will never, ever live up to our calling. You're overcomers, you're conquerors, you're mighty warriors. We have to obey him. And I love, how, I, love, I love how this was with Gideon. Gideon was weak. He faced impossible odds. He had all kinds of questions. He asked for signs of God and all that different stuff. But he had enough faith to show up for a fight with a huge army with a trumpet and light show. 
You know, I can I mean, seriously, who does that? Someone who trusts God enough to obey him. How much do you trust God? You know, we, we talk about trusting him as our provider, but we don't think he's big enough to help us to survive and be secure on the 90% instead of the 100%. You know, he talks about the tithe, you know, and giving. And I, I mean, Let's just be honest. Most don't even give 1% of Lent 10, which shows how big their God is, right? But those who have taken the step, and Roxanne and I took the rough journey. It was very rough for me, but the rough journey of giving is where, okay, I'll trust him enough to take that step of generosity. Okay, I'll trust him enough to take that step of generosity. And you know what I found? I found one plus God is a majority. Do you know why many of us aren't experiencing in life what God's promised? It's because we're not taking him seriously in how we live. How big's your God? How much you trust him? Are you willing to obey him? Doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be perfect for the next step. It's time for you to take your next step of faith and obedience. And when you do, your life will change dramatically. And then it'll be time to take another step because the stepping never stops. And speaking of steps, just before we move into worship, I want to give you a couple of action steps. Action steps. These are steps that, based upon this truth, this story, Gideon, we should actually maybe weave into the way we live our lives. Here's the first step. Don't live in your weakness. Live in his strength. Look at, we're weak, we face impossible odds. <laughs> we're going to lose. I'm telling you right now, we're going to lose. And most of us, that's all we know. So we need to change up. We need to live in his strength instead of our weakness. Look at Judges 6.34. You know what the difference in Gideon's life was? The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. It was when the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon that his life changed. He was weak. God isn't. The odds were impossible for him, but not for God. It was God that was the mighty warrior. <laughs> and the same is true with us. Philippians 4.13, the truth's available to us. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Don't live in your weakness. Live in his strength. Another action step. Trust his ability, not your own. Too many of us are going, I can't do that. I, I, can't, I can't serve him in that way. I, I can't overcome this addiction or this problem or this hatred I, or this flaw. I can't do it. I, I'm not a conqueror. I'm not a mighty warrior. I, I can't give are you kidding me i need everything i have i need more than what i have I, I can't i can't i can't i can't i can't of course you can't you're weak and the odds are impossible for you but stop living and trusting in your ability and start living and trusting in his look at mark 10 27 here's his ability jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible <laughs> that was the conversation in heaven when the father came to Jesus and said, yeah, I think I'm going to choose Brad to be a pastor. And Jesus says, man, that's impossible. That whole different kind of passage. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible without God. Why do you keep trusting your ability when his ability is so much better? Look at Romans 10, 17. Faith comes after hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Seems like an odd verse to throw in here, but here's the thing. 
if you're ever going to have the faith to take the next step, if you're ever going to have the faith to trust his ability instead of your own, you need to start letting God's word shape your faith. You know where faith comes from? It doesn't just come in from the sky. It comes from saturating yourself with God's truth and God's word. The message of Christ then builds your faith and grows your faith. Get into it. Live it. Embrace it. Change Gideon. It'll change you. And some of you are here going, how do I even begin this God thing? I've never experienced his forgiveness, his transforming power, him being a part of me. I've never even... Well, it, it starts with trust. In fact... You know how you get to know God in the first place and experience forgiveness of salvation? You admit your weakness. I'm a sinner. I failed. I can't do it on my own. And then you put your trust in him and start following him. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. For by grace, God's grace, his love, his compassion, are you saved, forgiven, made whole, through faith, by trusting him. This isn't works. It's not like religion tells you where you can earn it and you can make it. You're not strong enough. Stop pretending. It's not of works because if it was, then you'd be proud and you'd boast and some of us would be better than others and that's just not the case. If you want to know God, what you have to do is admit your weakness and turn to him and trust him and then start living a life of obedience. Why not start it now? Just before I finish this talk and we move to worship, Would you please, just for a moment, bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we bow in prayer, and you might be watching online or at one of our other church settings, as we bow for prayer, you don't have to say these things out loud, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to encourage you, take my words and make them your words to God, your heart to God. Just say, God, I am weak. I'm a failure. I, I can't live up to my potential I've sinned against you so I'm turning now to you Jesus you died on that cross so my sin could be forgiven I trust you you rose again so I could have new life and I'm trusting you for that new life and I'm asking you to help me now follow you and obey you in Jesus name amen If you just prayed with me, wherever you are, online or here, I just really want to encourage you to let us know because we want to give you information about next steps you can take in your journey with God. If you're in one of our live services, we give you these programs and inside is a perforated thing we call a connection card. Just fill it out and on the bottom, check that circle that says that you prayed to receive Jesus and as you leave our gathering spaces, there are boxes at the exits. Just throw that in there and we'll do the rest. We'll send you the information and if you're watching online, just hit the what next button. We'll do the same for you and I really want to encourage you Check out starting point groups. We have a whole new batch of starting point groups starting. You can find out about them in the lobby of all of our church settings or online, and they'll tell you about it. Sign up for it. It'll give you a foundation in your relationship with God that'll be life-changing. Now, if we're really then going to live up to our calling, there's one last action step I want to encourage you to take. I mean, I just want to encourage you to obey him in all things, no matter what. I know what it's like. In my, in my giving life, as an example, when we first started this journey of faith, it, it, it might have well have been an army of 100,000 against me. Because I just, I, I just I, that was hard. But when I started taking steps of obedience, God started 
showing me that he's my provider and security and not those things. And it started changing my life. The same in serving, the same in loving, the same in forgiving, all these different things. The same in making decisions that everyone was against but I knew he was for, playing to an audience of one, obey him in all things, no matter what. I mean, look at 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And the answer is no. To obey is better than sacrifice. That's what we learned from Gideon. When he obeyed, his life became exactly what God called it to become, a mighty warrior. If you want to live life like Gideon, a life of unbelievable significance, here's what you do. You acknowledge you're weak. You can't do it. And then you trust him and obey him. And I want to encourage you as we move into worship to do two things. As we sing about this great big God who's bigger than any obstacles, any giants, and any armies, I want to encourage you to be thinking about how big he is to you and to be letting him be bigger. And I want to encourage you to know there's only one way to ultimately live the life of a Gideon, and that's to surrender all. Here it is, God. Here's my weakness. Give me your strength. And so as we worship, think about how big he is. Celebrate how big he is. Praise him for how big he is. But make sure you respond by surrendering it all. Because then you can live the life you were called to live. A conquering life. Let's worship him now.